Our reading this evening is from Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, so 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Well, thanks for reading that for us, Martin. Let's pray before we come to to God's word. Let's pray. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Father God, we do pray this evening that we would be able to listen to your words and understand them. And we do pray that they would come with power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we do pray that um, you would speak through me. We do pray that you would help us each understand these words, help us understand what you want us to hear. And Lord, help us to go away from here, having been empowered and encouraged by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may use the, uh, the prayer app um, prayer mates, I don't know whether you use that at all. Uh, it's one of these ones where you can feed in things from different uh, Christian organizations. And one of the ones that feeds into mine is Operation World. And it looks at different countries each day. And uh, recently it's been focusing on the country of uh, China. And uh, we're also praying for China on Friday in the Friday at one uh, prayer meeting. And it's a quite an incredible story of growth. And growth in the face of serious persecution. Operation World have called it possibly the harshest and most widespread persecution of the church in all of history. But despite such persecution, or maybe because of, uh, the church there has grown from an estimated 2.7 million uh, evangelical Christians in 1975 to what is estimated to be over 75 million in 2010. That is a massive growth, isn't it? The faith and the commitment of Christians are strengthened. They're engaging in social causes. They have a growing vision for missions. 
and they're now found in every stratum of Chinese society. As Mark will share next week from his trip to Nigeria, he's also met strong and faithful Christians who have undergone serious persecution in that country. So how is that possible, you may ask? Well, ultimately, it's because the gospel, as we know, has the power to change lives. Our vision as a church is to see lives changed by Christ. But it's quite easy, I think, in this country to forget that the gospel does have that power to change lives. We're taking a short break um, from our series in Corinthians, as I said earlier, um, and looking at this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, which covers similar themes in many ways, but just a little bit of background to um, the letter, because Paul actually wrote this letter from Corinth, interesting enough. Uh, this is how he, he got there. Uh, Paul, um, you may recall, fell out with um, uh, Barnabas and said went with Silas through um, Syria and Cilicia as far as Lystra where they uh, met up with Timothy and invited him to go along with them. And they were prevented, we're told, by the Holy Spirit from preaching. Um, This is where they went along here. They were prevented by the Holy Spirit from going towards Asia. And so they went this way here to Troas. Well, that is where I remember Paul received that vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to go over. So that's where they went. They went first by Neapolis, Philippi, and ended up in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a well-established city which um, occupied quite a strategic uh, position, uh, having a natural harbour, being on the main route, the Via Ignatia, between Rome and the east. And it's the capital city of Macedonia. So there's probably quite a sizable Jewish population there. Um, The city had its own synagogue. So the Holy Spirit was guiding Paul and his companions as to where to go. Now, that didn't mean that every place would receive them with open arms. And uh, indeed, the reception varied from, from place to place. In Thessalonica, it was quite mixed. We're told that as Paul preached in the synagogue over the course of three Sabbaths, uh, some of the Jews were persuaded. Some joined him, um, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. They stirred up trouble and they caused a riot in the city. So Paul and, and Silas ended up moving on to, to Berea, where we're told the Berean Jews were of more noble character. Uh, I guess that means they didn't do riots. Um, and they received the message with great eagerness. So the new believers that Paul left behind in Thessalonica faced a tough time. Uh, and that was why Paul was very concerned about them. And first he sent Timothy uh, to find out how things were going. And then he wrote this letter from Corinth to encourage them. So by now he's um, come down here, and this is where he is at Corinth, writing to the Thessalonians. So how does he encourage them in this letter? Well, he does that by continually pointing them to the gospel, reminding them that it was the gospel um, that saved them reminding them of his concern and prayers for them and encouraging them to live lives worthy of the gospel, reminding them of the gospel hope that they have as they wait for the Lord's coming. Now, there's loads we could focus on in this short passage, um, even in just verses 2 and 3, there's a lot there. But um, 
We're going to look into four onwards, uh, because what comes out here is the progress of the gospel message and the response of the Thessalonians to that message. First in verse 5, the gospel came. Then in verse 6, you welcomed the message. And then finally in verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from, from you. So the church that Paul is writing to in verse 1, thanking God for in verse 2, was able to be planted because the gospel came. So how did it come about? Well, firstly, it came with words. It came to you, it says there, not simply with words, but it did come with words. Which shouldn't be a surprise because a message consists of words. Words are important. They're the means by which we communicate with, with one another. A careless choice of words can lead to confusion, uh, misunderstanding, um, or even worse, offence. Politicians are always careful about the words they use because they know they can be seized upon by the opposition or by the media to, uh, to challenge their, their integrity. So for Amber Rudd, the difference between targets and ambitions um, becomes a, a big issue. You might think Donald Trump's maybe not quite so careful with his choice of words, but um, there you go. But the words of the gospel message were, were different because they were the words of God. And these words are about something far more important. These words are about God's plan of salvation. But the point is that the gospel message didn't come simply or only with words. A good speaker can rely on the words he uses and his rhetorical skills to persuade people. Paul and his companions didn't rely on their speaking abilities. Apparently, they weren't great. But what they did rely on was the power of the Spirit. Two people can hear exactly the same words, and yet one will remain totally uninterested. The other will be affected quite deeply. They will sink um, into their hearts and change them. I'm sure we've all experienced that, being in the same place, hearing the same message. I remember going to um, hear Billy Graham speak uh, in 1984 on the hallowed turf of Portman Road, Ipswich Town's football ground, thinking this must be a pretty impressive speaker. Think of all those thousands of people converted um, in the Harangay Crusades of the 1950s, maybe some of you here this evening. But actually I found him fairly unimpressive. And yet many were converted. So how come people were converted? Where was the power? Well, the passage goes on to say, with power, with the Holy Spirit. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who prepares the hearts of the hearers to receive the message. It's the Holy Spirit who helps the speaker choose the right words to say. When I'm preparing a sermon, I pray that he will help me understand the meaning of the passage, first of all. That he will help me know what are the main points to get across. And I pray that he will help me find the words to use to convey that message. But even before that, I have to pray that the Spirit will touch my heart. Because if my heart hasn't been touched, then how do I expect that the hearts of others will be touched? Which is where the next point comes in, with deep conviction. 
Preaching is not just uh, giving a talk or a, a presentation. It's not a sharing of some thoughts and ideas that uh, the preacher might have. It is speaking the words of God. A preacher may not naturally be a good speaker, but if he's been moved by the Holy Spirit, he can preach with conviction. And the conviction that Paul and his companions had as they arrived in Thessalonica, even as they came up against strong opposition, was that the gospel is the power to change lives. They had the conviction that amongst those people, there were some that the Lord had his hand on. And they were not wasting their time in this place. They had the conviction that the gospel had the power to make people believe and be prepared to face the consequences of that belief, however tough that may be for them personally. They had the conviction that because they knew how much their own lives had been changed and it was not just a theoretical understanding. But we're not just talking here about preaching. Yes, we're told in Acts that Paul went to the synagogue, he he reasoned from the scriptures, explained and proved that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. But do you think Timothy and Silas remained silent? I'm sure they were having all sorts of personal conversations with people at that time. And so the question for each of us is not, have we got a preaching gift? But do we have the conviction that the gospel has the power to change lives. When we meet with our friends, do we pray that our words would change lives? Before we come to church, do we pray that lives would be changed by the preaching of the word? The gospel message came with words, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So what happened? Um, well, let's move on to verse 6. They welcomed the message. And as we have said already, it wasn't easy for the Thessalonians uh, to welcome the message because, as it says here, they welcomed it in the midst of severe suffering. Paul and his companions had to flee the city. Uh, It didn't make sense for them to to risk their lives at this point. Um, God still had much work for them to do. But as they fled, their, their hearts must have been torn, mustn't, mustn't they? they? They must have been really anxious for these new converts, um, people whose lives would henceforth be very difficult, but for whom that didn't matter because they had seen the glory of Christ. And it's difficult to, to really appreciate what it must be like to live in a country where you're persecuted for your faith, where you have to make the decision that my life will never be comfortable. My physical safety may always be at risk. I may be imprisoned, I may be tortured, I may be killed for my faith. This uh, is a picture of Leah Sharabu. She was one of um, 110 schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram uh, a couple of months ago. You may follow the the story in the news. Uh, Five of those girls died. Uh, all of the rest were released. Uh, she is the only one still in captivity. And the reason being that she's unwilling to convert to Islam. She's unwilling to deny her Christian faith. So having believed in the message of the gospel, what is it that gives someone 
the ability to risk their life for Jesus, to, to make that stand that she's making. Or verse 6 says, You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. That joy... That joy comes from knowing that you are loved by God, that there is more to life than one's material or physical circumstances or safety. Isn't it great to feel that sense of joy in your heart? That however tough things are, we we know what it is to be loved by God, that nothing can separate us from that love. The Thessalonians' joy was given by the Holy Spirit, and joy is a gift of the Spirit, isn't it? And so it can be interrupted by, by sin. We can lose our joy. And particularly when we allow our, our daily circumstances to, to weigh us down. When we lose sight of our salvation in Jesus. When we stop meeting with other Christians. When we stop making it an act of the will to rejoice. At the end of the letter in chapter 5, Paul says, uh, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. They are all linked. If you, if you stop praying and giving thanks, you will lose the joy. Rejoice always. Well, thirdly, you became imitators of us and the Lord. If we go back to the beginning of the sentence, that's what we read, but it comes before that, that previous bit. And welcoming the gospel message doesn't just involve accepting the words to be true. It means embracing a whole new lifestyle. The Thessalonians listened to what Paul had to say, and they also observed his behavior. And they were attracted to it. You know, there, there, there would have been none of the, the pride or arrogance of other speakers. And they would have noticed a, a different humility about him. A gentleness and a grace which marked him out from the other speakers. And so in welcoming the message, they then started to live changed lives. Uh, Paul and his companions were the only Christians that uh, the new believers knew. And so they followed their example. They were set up as a model for them to follow which meant in turn they were following the example of the Lord Jesus. I wonder if you've ever thought, what do people think of you as they observe your behavior? When you go off to school, when you go off to, to work, as you meet with other people in the, in the community, as you chat to your neighbor over the, uh, the garden fence maybe? Would it be something worth imitating? Is your public behavior consistent with your, your private behavior? If people come into your home and see you at home. Whereas the Thessalonian Christians followed the example of Paul and his companions, they then inevitably became a model to other believers. And it wasn't just that as, as individuals they were models, but as a community of believers they were, were a model. As a community, we have a huge responsibility to model Christ-like behavior. We can invite people to, to church services, to evangelistic events. Uh, but what's going to make people respond to the invitation? Often it's whether they see something in us which is different, which is attractive. Is it something they want to have? 
And hopefully as we engage more with people, as we engage as a church, more with the community, we will have more opportunity to show the love of Christ in our behavior. The message came. They welcomed the message. And finally, the message rang out from them. This word for rang out conveys the idea of uh, I've traveled a long way. It was used of bells and trumpets and, and other loud noises. And the proclamation of the gospel by the Thessalonians reverberated throughout all the surrounding countryside. How did the message ring out? Well, their faith became known. The gospel came, it was proclaimed, and what became known more widely was that some of the Thessalonians had put their faith in the gospel, in what they had heard. It was the effect of the gospel that became known. The lives had been changed by Christ. Became known not just in Macedonia and Achaia, it became known everywhere, it says here. I'm sure there's a bit of a hyperbole in that, but clearly it's become known beyond Greece, maybe Ephesus, Rome, Jerusalem. And it does show you, doesn't it, the power of testimony. If you talk about how God has changed your life, as John Billett did at Contact last Wednesday, and Desert Island Discs, if people see how God has changed your life, it does have a powerful effect on others, doesn't it? And word spreads, because people, people like to gossip. And, uh, you know, most gossip is, is negative, um, and we should pour water on it straight away. But this is positive gossip. This is gossiping the gospel. The great news is that the, the missionaries didn't need to do or say anything. Word just got out. As verse 8 says, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. The good news was spreading naturally. But what exactly was the change that people were reporting in the lives of the Thessalonian believers? Well, there were three things. Um, They made a break with the past. They turned to God from idols. They had a new purpose, to serve the living and true God. And finally, they had an ultimate goal in verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven. So let's have a brief look at each of those before we finish. First of all, they turned to God from idols. To turn marks a radical change. Some of us um, might remember the words of Margaret Thatcher in the 80s uh, about Europe how they are coming back to uh, to ring true today. The lady is not for turning. Remember that? She'd made her decision about what was right, and she wasn't going to be moved from that. Now, that's fine if you're convinced that what you're doing is right, and you're not being driven by pride. But if we're heading off down the wrong road, then it's important to turn, isn't it? The Thessalonians' turning was dramatic because of the the huge contrast between what they turned from and whom they turned to. They turned, it says here, from the worship of idols who were dead and false to God who was living and true. Their idols were were the Greek gods, of whom there there were many gods that had been created by humans. 
visible images that have been made by human hands. Very different from the invisible creator God of the universe. And yet these idols would have had a strong influence on them because of the fear that would have been built up in people's minds to displease them. Now there may not be many religious idols worshipped today, especially in our country, but there are many sophisticated idols which also have much power over people. There are the things that people become physically addicted to, like alcohol and, and drugs and sex. But there are the other things that people are addicted to such as their work, their, their leisure, their, their homes, things that are not bad in themselves but can become bad if we can't do without them. Or if it leads to an addiction, um, an addiction to comfort, an addiction to achievement, an addiction to, to status. But however strong the power of these idols is, and you may think as you live in a place like this that it is strong, that it is powerful, it's difficult to break, The gospel is stronger. It has the power to break people free from the things or the people that control their lives. It can be dramatic. It can be a gradual loosening of the the influence of sin in the life of the new believer. But when that turning or conversion happens then the focus of the believer's life is replaced with a new focus. And it's not simply they turn away from the old life, but it's the beginning of a new life of service. Rabindranath Tagore, the Bengali writer, artist and musician, once said, I have on my table a violin string. It is free to move in any direction I like. If I twist one end, it responds, it's free but it's not free to sing. So I take it and I fix it into my violin. I bind it, and when it's bound, it is free for the first time to sing. When we are bound to Jesus, we are free to be the people we were meant to be. We're free to serve, knowing that our new master, our new Lord loves us and gives us everything we need, and we we want to please him. Not out of a sense of duty, but out of willingness. But there's also an ultimate goal, and that is to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. When Jesus comes again, justice will be done. So on the one hand, it will bring relief Um, from their persecution. But I'm not sure that's what he's getting at here because they know that they too deserve God's judgment. But they will be rescued because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so to wait for him is to be ready for him. To know that he could come at any time and therefore to get on with using whatever time we've got left wisely. Look back at verse 3 says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Thessalonian believers are clearly ready for the Lord's return because their faith, their love and their hope have shown themselves in work and endurance. And so the question to, to leave you with this evening is, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's return? If we are ready, then we will be trusting in the power of the gospel to change lives. We'll be longing and praying for people to be converted before Jesus comes again and it's too late. And we'll be living lives that demonstrate that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes.